goodness of God. So do we ever pause to think of how truly good that God is? Now, this may be something that we think about, but likely when we think of God's goodness, we have the tendency to usually think of God's goodness being directed at an object such as ourselves. And when there is some fortune that comes our way, especially when coming out of a challenge or a hardship, we tend to think of the goodness of God in those instances. While it is true that God is good to us in those times when he makes a way for us out of a seemingly impossible situation, no matter what it may be, a health crisis, a financial hardship, restoration of relationships, whatever the case is where he manifests his goodness towards us. In those times, it is correct to acknowledge God as being good and to acknowledge his goodness. However, how about those times when things are not so great in our lives? Do we think of his goodness then? What about those times when the pressure of trials is so immense in our lives that it seemingly takes our breath away? How about in those times when things do not go the way that we plan? The prognosis that we receive from the doctor about ourselves or a loved one may be worse than we anticipated. But we still acknowledge God as good in those times. What if the relationship that we longed to have reconciled only grows farther and farther apart? Will we still acknowledge God as being good? See, the truth of the matter is whether we acknowledge God to be good or not, he is good. He is perfectly good and he is always good. So whatever charge that there is against God's goodness by his creatures, it amounts to nothing more than blasphemy against him. For he can be no less than good at all times. We must understand that if there was never another act of kindness displayed toward us by the almighty God, he would still be infinitely good. God alone is good. There is not a person on this earth who can claim absolute goodness. Any speck of goodness that is displayed by us comes directly from God. For none of us by nature is good. See, men say that they do things out of the goodness of their hearts or out of the kindness of their hearts. The problem with that is that the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. See, any true goodness that we perform comes from God. In the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 through 18, 
in response to being called good teacher by the rich young ruler, Jesus questioned him. He in turn questioned the rich young ruler, asking him why he called him good. And Jesus from there made the statement that no one is good except God alone, which is absolutely true. Jesus is God. Therefore, Jesus Christ is good. God, by his very essence, is good. Should he have never created a thing, the Lord would still be good. So let's talk about what God's goodness is. What is God's goodness? God's goodness is this. It is his charitable disposition to be generous to his creatures. It is his charitable disposition to be generous to his creatures. One writer says that it speaks to the graciousness of God in his dealing mercifully with us. Though another writer says that God's goodness extends beyond mercy, stating that mercy presupposes a miserable object. And that the goodness of God needs no object without anything. God is good. God is good without his goodness being directed toward anyone or anything. However, his creation is in existence and his goodness is made manifest to all that God has created. And so we'll talk about now how God is good by nature. But are there any thoughts or comments to this point? OK, so God is good by nature. It is by his own essence that God is good. He does not have to learn how to be good. His goodness is not derived from any outside source. There is nothing else that causes God to be good. Goodness is his nature. And see, this is not just one thing about him, as if his goodness could be separated away from him. Rather, his goodness is wrapped up in all that he does. There is no end to his goodness. As long as God has existed, so has his goodness been attached to him. He is the standard of goodness. It is original to him. God cannot be charged with evil, for he is infinitely good. There would need to be a break in the everlasting fountain of goodness, which flows from God in order for him to perform even the most minor act of evil. And for him to do so would not only violate his goodness, but it would be completely contrary to who God is. He is all 
good. There is no evil in God at all. Not even in his thoughts, let alone his actions. God's nature is good. So he could not even have chosen to be bad, for to do so would contradict his nature. God does not have to will within himself to be good, as if to fight against evil that attempts to rise up within him or to suddenly overtake him. No, it is not possible for God to be anything else but good. There is no capacity for evil within him, nor is there any possibility for evil to lay hold of him. He is necessarily good, for he can be nothing other than good. God's goodness is a communicable attribute of his, meaning that he shares his goodness with others. If God did not share his goodness, we would not do good. For all goodness is in, in his creatures derives from him. William Tyndale said this. He says, God's goodness is the root of all goodness and our goodness. If we have any springs from his goodness. See, God is supreme good. Our goodness comes from him. He is the cause of it. The goodness that we have, though imperfect, is the effect of what God gives to us. And God being the cause, who is perfect goodness, is greater than the effect, the goodness that he gives to us, which when we exercise it is imperfect goodness. Even knowing that all good that we receive is from God, we are still shifty creatures, right? We're good when we feel like being good, right? It's a struggle sometimes for us to be good. Things that we know to do which are good, which would testify even to the goodness of God. Those things we hold back from doing for whatever the reason may be. The good things that we have or even possess knowledge of, we hide those things so we don't have to share them with others or so that no one can get an advantage over us. Failing to realize that all of the good things that we have come from God. So why do we hold on to those things? See, the Lord does not hold on to his goodness. He freely gives his goodness, especially to his children. He freely gives his goodness. He does not hold back. He is pleased to share his goodness. He does not hide it as if to try to keep it away from others. He is pleased to communicate his goodness to others. God is more pleased to give his goodness than we are to receive it. 
And see, that is a problem that does not lie with God. It lies with us. For we truly do not understand just how good God is and how eager that he is to show us his goodness. Now, does this mean that we will have all that we think is good in our view if we approach God and ask him for those things? No. Some of the things that we think are good in our own mind could end up being the worst thing for us. But see, God in his goodness withholds certain things from us for our own good. Our good God, however, gives to us all that we need. Psalm chapter 34, verse 10, it says, The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Any questions? Questions or comments? Okay. Let's talk about God's display of goodness. And again, we're going to look at God's display of goodness in five ways. In creation, in redemption, in providence, in testing his people, and in his patience. These are just a few ways that we're going to talk about God's goodness. As we say every week, it could be any any one of God's attributes is a broad topic, is inexhaustible. So we're just going to talk about a few aspects of the display, God's display of goodness. The first is in creation. So seven times in Genesis chapter one, turn there uh, with me, please. Genesis chapter one. Seven times there are direct references to creation being good. So I'll give you a moment to get there and then we'll kind of go through it. We're not going to read each and every verse here, but we are going to just take a look at some and see if we can pick up on God's goodness uh, throughout. So Genesis chapter one. So verse four. It says, God saw that the light was good. Uh, Verse 10, in reference to the dry land and the seas, God saw that it was good. Verse 12, in reference to the vegetation, plants, and fruit-bearing trees, it says, God saw that it was good. Regarding the two luminaries, one great light to govern the day and one great light to govern the night, along with the stars. Verse 18 says, God saw that it was good. The creatures of the sea and the birds in the air. Verse 21, God saw that it was good. Verse 25, the beast, the cattle, the creeping things. God saw that it was good. And then in verse 31, it says, God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. 
See, God is good, and all that he created is good. Good and upright is the Lord. Psalm chapter 25, verse 8 says, and last week we talked about what it meant for God to be upright. That's his holiness, right? God made man in his image. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 tells us. So we talked about man and his original condition when God made him last week, holy and happy, even with the kids catechisms. That's one of the kids catechisms. How did God make Adam and Eve? He made them holy and happy. And then the question comes after that. Did they remain holy and happy? No, they did not. They sinned against God. And that's what we're going to talk about here in a minute. But God made man in his image. God is holy. He made man in his image, in the likeness and holiness of God. See, when God made man, as we discussed last week, he made them upright. Yet man still sinned against God. Ecclesiastes chapter seven, verse twenty nine, it says, behold, I have found only this, that God made men upright, but they have sought out many devices. See, God did not make man evil. Man sought out devices and they sinned against God. So Adam being made in the likeness of the good and holy God, chose to sin and disobey God. Adam and Eve saw all that God had given to them. He provided for them all that they would ever need out of his goodness. Yet, it was not enough for them. They sinned against God. In Genesis 3, we have an account of the fall of man and sin entering into the world. What God made good, the evil of sin tarnished. But God, in the goodness of his mercy, promised redemption. Even post-fall, immediately, we can see the goodness of God to man. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. Starting in verse 16, it says this. It says, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. The command given to Adam in verse 17, chapter 2, 17, was to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The threat or the consequence was that in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And we can even pause here for a second and just talk about God's commands and God's law. We can even see God's goodness in his commands when he says, you shall not 
It's not to just unnecessarily hold human beings back from experiencing what is good, but it is to prevent them from the danger that lies ahead and from running headlong into things that are not good for them. God, in his goodness, puts law in place so that we are protected. He protects us more than we even know. And when he prohibits us from doing things, it's not because he is evil and that he does, he does not want us to have or enjoy pleasures in this life. But it is to keep us from evil. But <clears throat> so the, the threat or the consequence was that in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The serpent deceived Eve and she ate of the fruit of the tree and gave the fruit to Adam and he ate of it. Despite God's specific command to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. They sewed together fig leaves to cover themselves up. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden and this God whom they had enjoyed perfect communion with prior to sinning. They now hid from his presence. And it is here that we begin to see the goodness of God. Remember the threat and consequence from God was of eating the tree of the, um, the the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil the threat and consequence was this in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die let's take a look at genesis chapter 3 verse 9 and see if we can spot god's goodness in man's original rebellion uh, let's let's see how God responded. Verses nine through eleven is what we're going to read. Genesis chapter three, verses nine through eleven. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? See here by all rights of holiness, of his holiness, his justice and the supreme character and nature of who God is. He rightfully could have taken Adam and Eve out right there in that very moment when they sinned, but he did not. He chose, however, to have a conversation with them, if you will. And even in this, Adam did not realize the kindness of God. And he continued on in sin against God's goodness, bringing further condemnation upon himself by blaming God. The audacity 
See, God said that it was not good for Adam to be alone. So what did God do? He fashioned a woman out of Adam's rib, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, to be a helper fit for him. And what does Adam do with that? Read Genesis 3.12. says, the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. That's what Adam did in response to God's goodness and kindness. Adam sinfully kicked the dirt of God's goodness right back into his face as to say, this is your fault for giving me this woman. Essentially, God, it's your fault that I sinned. See, we would understand if the story ended right there with the line stating something to the effect of, and God in his righteous anger took the man and woman that he so fearfully and wonderfully made and destroyed them, along with the serpent in the scorching flames of hell. We would understand if the story ended just like that, right? However, it does not. The story continues on. You see God's goodness. The story con- continues on. In his kindness, God goes to Eve. Verse 13 it says this. It says, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord did not destroy Eve, which again, he was within his rights to do so. God, however, mercifully and graciously gave both Adam and Eve a chance to explain. And although they did not get off scot-free, the consequences of their their sin were severe even unto death, as we see in verses 16 through 19. They did not get off scot-free, but God, in his kindness, saw fit to not immediately destroy man. And in a further act of God's kindness, the Lord God made for Adam and Eve garments of skin and clothed them. Verse 20 tells us. See, the the consequence of their sin was severe. There was a, a consequence for it. The consequence was so severe that it permeates throughout history and we feel the consequence of their sin today and it will continue to the end of time as we know it but still even in this we see the kindness the goodness and kindness of God God is good see God's anger toward the serpent however And the consequence was immediate and it was final. This is your fate, says the Lord Almighty. No chance for explanation and without the faintest hope of redemption. This was the judgment that was pronounced on him. Let's go to 
verse 14 and read verses 14 and 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field on your belly. You will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. In verse 15, we see the first proclamation of the gospel with the promise that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And that was done through Jesus Christ. See, there is no way that we can escape even the beginning pages of the Bible without seeing the goodness of God. The threat and consequences for man's sin is death. And this is sure. However, the promise which comes through repentance and faith in Christ is eternal life. What an exchange for how man disobeyed God. God then promises man escape from eternal death and wrath at his own hand through faith in his son. When all that man had to offer was the slight of sinful rebellion in response to God's goodness and kindness toward him. See, this is where we can see God's goodness and especially his goodness in redemption, which we will consider next. Are there any questions or comments before we move on? So let's go back. So God's goodness, just by, you know, by simple definition, is his charitable disposition to be generous to his creatures. It's his charitable disposition to be generous to his creatures. And that is just a simple definition of what what God's uh, goodness is. Is that I mean, is that what kind of what you're looking for? Are we looking for something Yeah. You have to try to figure out, like, I mean, there is like 
so many different ways you can define good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then when we were talking about God's goodness, um, like as we were reading the um, the passage, mm-hmm. everything He made was good. Yeah. And then some somewhere in the story, something like wasn't good anymore. Right. So that's what I said. Sin entered the world, and sin. That's what I said. Sin tarnished what God made as good, you know, and, and then in terms of, you know, the the goodness. And so there is no example of God being evil because he's good. He can't be evil. You know, I think we, we covered that. He can't be. And the fact that he does not give the same amount of good to each and every person does not mean that God is not good. It doesn't diminish his good at all. You know, he, he's sovereign and he gives to us as he pleases. He's, you know, he's gracious to whom, you know, he wants to be gracious. He has mercy upon whom he wants to have mercy. That's who God is. It's his prerogative. We can't complain. But God is good. You know, again, if he never showed any act of kindness at all or goodness, that does not in any way diminish who God is. His goodness is intrinsic to who he is. It's it's his uh, his nature. Do I think it's good or bad? I think it's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's that's it. You, you know what I mean? It doesn't matter what what I think about it. I mean, what I know is that God said not to eat from it. You know, and if the day that you eat from it, in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Forget about whether I think it's good or bad. I mean, what did you know? Did, did Adam take God at His word? No, he didn't. He didn't. And he found out the consequence of disobeying God. That was the command that God put in place. Do not do it. And Adam chose to do it anyway. He found out, you know, what what uh, what the consequence was of his disobedience to uh, to God. Were you going to say something, too? I, I, I was. When I, I was thinking about Job, how God allowed Satan to you know, disrupt his whole life. Yeah. Was, was that good or was that... I'm not sure how I think that was good for letting Satan do what he did to Job. Although it turned out okay, but, you know, he was tested. Yeah. Definitely tested. Lost a lot. Yeah, yeah, he definitely was tested. And that's something that we're even going to hit on here, not Job specifically, but, you know, God's goodness, even in our testing and even in affliction. So, yeah. Um, But let's uh, let's keep moving on and speak about God's goodness in redemption. So redemption originated in God's goodness. The redemption of man is not something that man deserved from God. It was not 
owed to man. It was because of God's love. See, God is love, as first John chapter four, verse eight tells us he is love. It is man who sinned and rebelled against God. But yet this same rebellion is what the Lord overcomes in redemption. God's redemption of man showed at least for a season a greater goodness to man than that which was shown to Christ. John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It is the word so that puts emphasis on the quality of God's love to sinners. Stephen Charnock puts it this way. He says, referring to God, he says he so loved the world that he seemed for a time not to love his son. He would rather spare us than him. He would rather hear him groan than us. He would rather have him die than us. What higher manifestation of love could we ever conceive? Romans chapter five, verse eight. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter eight, verse 32. He who indeed did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? See, God is good. God freely and graciously gives us good things. He is good. Christ, who is God, is good. It is he who suffered, bled and died for man. See, this is the only way that we can be reconciled to God. So may we be careful to not complain during this light and momentary affliction that we go through while we are here on this earth. Consider what Matthew Henry said regarding Genesis chapter three, verses 14 through 19. We've already read through 15. Let's read verses 16 through 19. Genesis chapter three. It says to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you in toil. You will eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles. It shall grow for you and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You will eat bread. Till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return.
consider what Matthew Henry had to say about that. He says, how admirably the satisfaction our Lord Jesus made by his death and sufferings answered to the sentence here passed upon our first parents. Did travailing pains come in with sin? We read of the travail of Christ's soul, Isaiah 53, 11, and the pangs of death, Acts 2, 24. Did subjection come in with sin? Christ was made under the law, Galatians 4, 4. Did the curse come in with sin? Christ was made a curse for us, dying a cursed death. Galatians 3.13. Did thorns come in with sin? He was crowned with thorns for us. Did sweat come in with sin? He for us did sweat as if it were great drops of blood. Did sorrow come in with sin? He was a man of sorrows. His soul was in his agony, exceedingly sorrowful. Did death come in with sin? He became obedient unto death. This is the plaster as wide as the wound. Blessed be God for Jesus Christ. See, this is but a glimpse of the goodness of God in the redemption of of man. There is no other way except through Christ. And let's make sure as we go through this life, as we are afflicted, as we suffer, there is no way that our suffering comes anywhere close to what the Savior's suffering was. All right. <clears throat> Any other questions before we before we move on? All right. God's goodness in providence. In theology, providence is this. It is the care and superintendence which God exercises over his creatures. That's just a simple, straightforward definition of providence. God, in his goodness, gives light for men to see air for them to breathe. He gives the beauties of creation to enjoy in all of its vibrance and splendor, all of the colors that we see in nature and enjoy them. These things appeal to our sight. Great fragrances that appeal to our sense of smell. If we smell the flowers, that is an, an appeal to our sense of Smell, beautiful singing of the birds or other delightful sounds of nature. This appeals to our hearing. God is good and he gives these things to us. God provides food for his children to eat. We see this with how he provided for Israel whenever they were in the desert. He gave them water to drink. He supplied them with uh, with bread every morning, he gave them meat to eat in the evening. Exodus 15, 16 and 17 gives accounts of this. Nehemiah chapter nine, verse 15, it says you provided bread from heaven for them, for their hunger. 
you brought forth water from a rock for them for their thirst. And you told them to enter in order to possess the land which you swore to give them. That's God's goodness. As God provided for Israel, so he uh, provides for his children even today. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. It says this, it says, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. David said, they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Again, Psalm 34, verse 10. Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are going to be those who truly seek after him and they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. David says again, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. Psalm 37, 25. Those who have been redeemed by Christ are considered righteous on the merit of what Christ did. However, God is good to his creatures in general. He is so good to his creatures that he even provides good things for unbelievers as well. Those who are not righteous. This is his common grace, which is extended to those who are not in the fellowship of believers. Even though they continue on in sin, God still gives them good things. He allows for them to take joy in the simple pleasures of life, enjoying relationships with friends and family, the joy of children, the joy of marriage. They uh, enjoy success. These are all an extension of God's goodness to his creatures, to his creation. But as they persist in sin, God continues in goodness. He does not withhold his goodness from his creatures. This is God's common grace. Matthew chapter five, verse 45 says, for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. See, God is so good to the degree that he sometimes supplies so much good to the unrighteous that it could cause the righteous to be envious of them. Psalm 73, it gives an account of this in verse three, and we can turn there. Psalm 73. Verses three and four, Psalm 73, it says, for I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death and their body is fat. See, Asaph said that because of the prosperity of the wicked, 
he almost stumbled. And he gave examples of how the wicked prosper throughout the psalm. And I would encourage you to uh, to read that. However, toward the uh, the middle to end part of the, the psalm, we see how his uh, how his mind changed there. He said he almost stumbled. He gave examples of how the wicked prosper. But then when he came to the sanctuary of God, let's go to verse 17 and read from there. He says, until I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand with your counsel. You will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. See, Asaph realized the fate of the wicked, the wicked, impenitent sinners, despite the goodness of God. They are headed for eternal destruction. God is good, even to those who are not reconciled to him. But there is an expiration date for his goodness to the unjust. Not so for the righteous. There are pleasures forevermore that await the Lord's sheep. The Lord even feeds the animals that he created in his goodness. He takes care of them. Psalm 145 verse nine says the Lord is good to all and his mercies are over all his works. Uh, verse 16 of Psalm 145 says you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. God cares so much for his creation that he even cares for Inanimate objects such as grass and lilies, as Jesus explains in Matthew chapter six, verses 26 through 30. And if God cares so much for those things, how much more does he care for you? And will he care for you? God is good. God is always good. Any questions? All right. God's goodness in the testing of his people. So even in affliction, God is good. His purpose is for us to be conformed to the image of his son in all of it. Romans chapter eight. Romans eight twenty eight. 
says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. So when we are in the furnace of affliction, remember that God is good. And that he is conforming us to the image of his son. Another quote from Stephen Sharnock. It says, in goodness, God removes from us by means of afflictions our false supports for security, our dross mixed in with gold, and that which would hinder our true happiness and usefulness. It is an act of kindness to prevent a man from falling down a cliff, though it be with a violent blow that lays him flat upon the ground. Hereby, God sharpens our faith, moves us to pray, reveals ourselves and himself like never before. So good is he that he goes with his people in their worst affliction. The Lord will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 tells us. And then we see God's goodness in patience, in his patience. See, God displays his goodness in that he does not send immediately to hell sinners who hate him. Though the rebel sinner constantly rejects God, the Lord is kind enough to give that person time to come to their senses and fall prostrate before him in repentance and faith in his son. It was this patience that saved the Apostle Paul as the Lord patiently endured the evil that Paul performed against the church. And it is this same goodness that caused the Lord to patiently endure our evil and sinful hatred against him until we came to him through faith in his son. It's all God's doing. But God is patient. He is patient and we see his goodness through his patience. Romans chapter two. Verse four says this, it says, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? See, whenever we evangelize and witness to people, we want to remind them. That the Lord, yes, he is patient, but 
There is going to be a time when he says enough. See, today is the day. You know, don't don't wait. If you hear the Lord calling, repent today. Don't put it off until tomorrow. That's what we have to remember when we are evangelizing the time that the Lord gives. He is good. He is gracious, but it is his time that he gives. And it is up to him. The light, the breath that you breathe is not your own. It's a borrowed breath from God. And he at any time as you as his creation, he can say enough. That's it. No more. And he can call you into eternity. So we have to see his kindness, his goodness, his forbearance and patience, not knowing, as Romans 2, 4 says, that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. What do we do with all of this? Some parting thoughts and then there are any questions. You know, I'll I'll stick around for that. What do we do with with all of this? See, let me challenge you to look beyond material things when seeking out God's goodness. Instead, look to all of who God is in all of his riches, his richness, splendor and glory. No, see, we will not see it all on this side of eternity, but die seeking God's goodness. Moses, after interceding for Israel, whom God wanted to destroy after they sinned against him, he implored the Lord for his presence to Remain with them as they continued on their journey to the promised land. Moses found favor in the sight of God and God obliged with Moses's request. Moses asked for God to show him his glory. God's reply was this. Genesis chapter 33 Verse 19 says, and he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. See, Moses asked for God to show him his glory. God says, I will make all my goodness pass Before you. So God's goodness is at the center of his glory. Seek after God for all that he is with all that you are. See, this goes beyond material and tangible things. Yes, the Lord does bless us with material things, but that is not the end goal of what we want when we seek out the goodness of God. God's goodness was so, so much that Moses, he had to hide Moses in the cleft of the rock and 
cover Moses with his hand so that he could only see his back part. Why? Because no man can see God's face and live. But again, as we talked about in the past couple of weeks, remember, one day we will see God face to face. We will be like him. We will see him as he is. That is his promise to us. That is the glory of redemption. That is the goodness of God. And we thank him for the good things that he gives to us. But we are not focused on things. Things are going to pass away. Heaven and earth is going to pass away and the things along with it. God's word will endure forever. God endures forever. It's him that we are focused on, not material things. So I challenge you to look beyond just material and tangible things. If things don't work out in your life the way that you plan for them to work out, God is still good. He is always good. He is perfectly good. Don't despise him. In your seeking God's goodness and striving for holiness, remember that God is good. When you fall short in sin, run to him immediately for forgiveness. Do not hide from God. Psalm chapter 86, verse 15, it says, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. That is who our God is. Number three, be careful not to complain when God prunes you through affliction. Know that he loves you so much that he wants to conform you to the image of his beloved son. It is within the furnace of affliction that we learn so much about God, that we learn so much about who we are, that we see truly how sinful we are and things that need to go from our lives. And it is God who will take those things away. Do not complain when you are in the fire of affliction. Know that God is still good even in that. He chastens those whom he loves. He's not going to allow for us to just continually go into sin with no consequence at all. Not his children. He chastens those whom he loves. Thank God when he chastens you. Thank him when he takes you through a tough trial, as uncomfortable as it may seem. The Lord will not abandon his children. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He is there with you in your deepest, darkest affliction. That is the goodness of God. Be patient when suffering. Knowing that the Lord is working it together for your good, saints, do not be like impatient 
Israel, who discarded the good and gracious God who brought them out of slavery, helped them cross through on dry land through the sea, was leading them to the promised land. And they discarded the creator for the likeness of a worthless idol. Be patient with God in your suffering. He is good. Even in your suffering, do not get impatient and throw away the God who has promised so much to us in his word, who has shown us so much how good he is. And don't throw him away for a worthless idol, which can be yourself because of your feelings and because of how you feel you're going to feel sorry for yourself. So you're going to do something to bring comfort in this affliction that does not please God, that goes against his will. Don't do that. Be patient in suffering. Search the scriptures. Pray to God. He is good in your evangelistic efforts. Be sure to share the gospel with all mankind, regardless of their social status. The Lord is good to the wicked and the just. Those who have an abundance of things because of God's goodness are as much in need of the Lord's mercy and grace, which comes through repentance and faith in Christ, as is the one who does not have much at all. God is good to both in abundance and poverty. God does not change. His goodness is immutable. And those who are not in Christ, who have not repented of sin and believed in Christ, no matter the abundance, the amount of what they have, do not shy away from those people with the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's our duty to go to them, not to shy away and say, oh, they have everything that they need. You know, and we don't go to them with the tactic of you have all of this. You need one more thing, though. No, it's you don't have anything if you do not know Christ. If he does not know you, God is good. Finally, always remember the goodness of God in the giving of his only begotten son to die for rebellious sinners like you and like me. The goodness of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit worked together to save you from God's eternal wrath and to keep you until the day that he calls you home. God is good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had together, God. And there is no way within an hour, within a year, within eternity that we could explain your goodness because it is infinite. God, it is who you are. And we seek to understand you, God, more 
and more as we go to your word. We know that only you are good. You can be nothing else but good in contrast to this dark world that continues in sin. Your light still shines bright. And those of us who know you have no reason to fear the darkness of this world because your spirit lives in us. God, so help us with the goodness that you have shown to us to not sit on this treasure of knowledge that you have given us through your word, this treasure that you have given us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us, God, with this time that we have left here on this earth to go out into this world and to speak of the goodness of God and to call sinners to submission to Jesus Christ. You are better to us than we can ever be to ourselves, God. But we want to exhaust ourselves knowing who you are and lord when you do call us into eternity may you find us faithfully seeking out your goodness and it's in christ's name we pray amen